This is Soundstage founder Doug Schneider. You're listening to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast, your semi-regular deep dive into news, facts, opinions, and anecdotes about everything that really matters in the world of high-performance audio. Hosts Brent Butterworth and Dennis Berger have more than five decades worth of audio product testing experience and a few hours of podcasting experience as well. Now, here's Brent and Dennis. Hi, everyone. It's Dennis Berger, editor of Soundstage Access. As well as Brent Butterworth, editor of Soundstage Solo. And we both write for the Soundstage Network, which is a collection of nine microsites covering all sorts of topics in audio, from headphones to connected audio to super high-end to budget stuff and everything in between. Yes, every topic you might imagine someone that's into audio would be into. And we've got a cool YouTube channel with all sorts of interviews and topics of discussion. Okay. Enough ads, enough ads. Let's move on. Let's give our, let's give our, our five listeners some actual content. (laughs) I am pretty sure we have seven. We have seven now. Yeah. So growing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, this week I want to start with a cool piece that I saw. Actually, you showed me on Audioholics called THX Spatial Audio on Kobez. Mm. Listen with any headphones. Um, pretty interesting topic Mm. there. Um, I think we're going to have a lot to say. I think you're especially going to have a lot to say, but what do you, Brent Butterworth, want to discuss this week? Well, I saw a review in the new issue of Stereophile. I saw it in the print edition, which I got for free at the Cedia show, which just happened in Dallas. But I found a review by Jason Victor Serenis, who's one of their longtime reviewers, of a Nordos QNet network switch and QSource linear power supply. And it wasn't so much the review of the network switch and linear power supply that caught my eye. It's the statement in there that, quote unquote, everything in the system matters. Because as it happens, when I saw that, uh, Doug, our founder and leader of the Soundstage Network, was right in the midst of an argument with someone on Facebook about exactly that same thing. And that's why the whole issue sort of solidified in my mind and made me feel like we have to talk about this. So you have something else we're going to discuss, I think? I do. Our editor-in-chief, Jeff Fritz, um, went to Europe uh, this summer and wrote about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the latest one, um, which is just published, was a Sonus Faber speaker production and design lab write-up, which is really, really cool. But there are a couple of things here. Firstly, I I just want to talk about Jeff's visit and what he wrote. Mm -hmm. But more importantly... I think, well, not more importantly, but also importantly, I want to talk about stories of this type. I want to talk about um, visits to different manufacturers and different factories and things like that. I want to talk about the value of these kinds of pieces. And it occurs to me that probably before we started rolling tape here, I should have asked you (laughs) whether you like these kinds of stories or not, because we're going to talk about that. And I don't, I'm honestly, I think going to be surprised by your opinion. Um, But I think you will be surprised by my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Probably will. But before we get to that, let's let's pull up Audioholics real quick. Uh, okay. so there's a piece by Jacob Green. Um, mm-hmm. It's published on October 7th, in, in case anybody wants to scroll through the Audioholics homepage and find it. Um, and, it and the headline is THX Spatial Audio and Cobuzz. Listen with any headphones. And he's in all capital letters. Um, and he talks about THX Spatial Audio is, you know, one of the headphone virtualizers, um, mm-hmm. as, as opposed to DTS headphone X and Dolby Atmos for headphones. Anyway, uh, Cobuzz, very popular streaming service amongst audio files. You and I both mm-hmm. use it as an alternative to Spotify. We use it as reference material in most of our reviews, but they've now gone and they've got select tracks made available in this THX spatial audio that you can listen to no matter what your headphones are, you can, you know, if you're, if you're plugging your headphones into your, you know, your desktop, uh, headphone amp or what have you, as long as you can get co-buzz to those headphones, you can listen to spatial audio. So, um, yeah. What do you think about this, Brent? Well, um, they're, they're the whole spatial audio. First of all, everyone's piling on spatial audio. Everybody's got to have something on spatial audio now, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and boy, once you get into the professional audio realm, oh my God, spatial audio, spatial audio, spatial audio, spatial audio. That's fine. 
but you can do all sorts of things and call them spatial audio. Now, I did check out, like THX has this, has had spatial audio, THX spatial audio, as a processing technology that's been included in like a Razer app, you know, playback app for computers and mm -hmm. for gaming. So yeah, for gaming. And so you can, yeah, you know, I tried it and it's, it's like, well, okay. It, you take stereo music and kind of makes it a little more spacious sounding and stuff. It's like, well, that's fine if someone likes it. And, uh, I didn't think it was a whole lot different from what you might find as, as a preset built into a smartphone, mm. but, um, yeah, most of which have something on there now that says spatial audio that you can click. Yeah. And however, you know, you can, I, I, as I gather it, okay. So, so Dolby Atmos, you're taking a whole bunch of so-called stems, right? You know, little pizza pieces of things that you recorded like a guitar or a vocal or whatever. And mm -hmm. you're actually placing them in specific part, you know, areas of space around the listener right yeah so, so you're not saying like you know when when you and i mix and master the podcast mm -hmm. we'll you know i'll take your voice and say pan it 20 percent right yeah and, you know my voice and say pan it 20 percent left but with these they're like with atmos they're audio objects and you don't say 20 percent right you say i want the this object here <laughs> right <laughs> so it's a little different than than what we would normally think of as as mixing so Right, but it's a technology that that as I understand it isn't a mixing technology, it's something that you can mix into. And that was right. the way that that like Dolby headphone was. And Dolby headphone actually did have like X Y and Z coordinates built into it. However, there were mixes made for Dolby headphone and they basically just messed around in the studio, monitored it through Dolby headphone and got a cool sound out of it, which is just the same as, as David Chesky's doing with his new uh, mega dimensional sound. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't have a technology per se. He listens through his headphones and he messes around with the, the mixing board until he gets a cool spatial effect. Yeah. So that to me sounds kind of like what was done with these recordings. They have three recordings down at the end of this article in Audioholics that you can listen to. I guess if you, I guess you have to be a Koba subscriber. I think you have to um, be a subscriber. Yeah. Yeah, we are. So, you know, not a problem for us, yeah. but, um, and we listen to them and they do sound pretty great. They're the one from Anak Cohen, who is a jazz clarinetist and saxophonist, mm -hmm. um, who, who's really great, by the way, you should go check her out. A-N-A-T Cohen. Um, that one's really nice. That one sounds like something that was specifically made to sound good in spatial audio. I don't know how exactly they produced it. Yeah. I don't know if they did an Atmos mix and folded it into this. I don't know if they just messed around on a mixing board till it sounded good and then monitored it through this until it, you know, I don't know, but it does sound really good. I think we can both agree on that and people can go yeah. check this out and you probably should because why not? It's there. It's free. Check it out. Yeah, that's the only one of the three that I really loved. Like, I could sit and listen to that all day. There's a Dinosaur Jr. track also, mm -hmm. which, I mean, it was fine. I could take it or leave it. You know, it's it's yeah. not the music. I like Dinosaur Jr., but in terms of this spatial audio thing, it was like, well, I would be just as happy with the stereo here. You know, it didn't really make much difference. Then there is a track from an artist named Circuit Do You. Yeah, which means, uh, which means in French either circuit of eyes or circuit of eggs. I can't remember. <laughs> I think it's eyes. Yeah. Okay. But it was just like, I would almost rather listen to Yoko Ono. So there's really nothing they could do with spatial audio that would make that work for me, but whatever, get off my lawn. But the, the, the Anat Cohen thing was just really pleasant yeah, and really, 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 nice. it really pulled the music out of my head and sort of, I, you know, what I found is when I was listening to it, it was, it was a tendency for me to just close my eyes and sort of get lost in the mix. And, um, I thought that was really neat. Yeah, it was so. really beautiful. Go see, and that Cohen, I think is on tour right now. Go see her. She's, she puts on an unbelievably great show. Even do you if think you're not like a, do you think she's coming to Montgomery, Alabama? Um, you know, I was looking at, I was literally looking at her tour dates <laughs> like a couple <laughs> days ago and, um, uh, she was definitely going to places I did not expect that were not, you know, oh. New York, LA, Chicago. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe so maybe. Yeah. worth checking know. out, but she puts on a great show and you don't have to be a jazz person to, to get into it. It's really, really great. 
But anyway, I, I one thing that I that I a little bit take issue with is they're kind of marketing this as like, oh, it works with any headphones. But mm-hmm. you know, any of these spatial audio things work with any headphones. Even the Apple, the st- the spatial audio that's on Apple Music will work with non-Apple headphones. It yeah, I didn't realize sound that. Quite as good now. Yeah. You know, Apple's got it, their own renderer, and mm-hmm. they, of course, they if they if if you're using their headphones, they know you're using their headphones, and because you know they're wireless, and so it's it's ID'd, so they can apply some EQ curves and maybe a little something this and that to make it sound better and optimize it. But and it they can also with, do a thing where, like, when you turn your head, the music doesn't turn. Yeah, they can with do the tracking head, right? and all that stuff, which yeah. is nice, mm-hmm. but you don't. Um, you know, spatial headphones are just two drivers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. almost all of them are just even even the earphones that have God knows twelve or fifteen drivers in them are still just blowing through a couple little holes into your ear. So they can't yeah. address those drivers individually with the surround sound technology. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're still you're still going through a two wire connection to both ears. Yeah. And you know, so there's only so much they can do with it, and it, it can't. They can't make it not work on other headphones. You know, I, I, it, it may sound better on some. I think if you put on some nice, like Hi-Fi Man open backs, that those sound more spacious anyway. So mm-hmm. the Atmos or THX spatial audio effect is going to be uh, amplified. Um, but if you put on the crappy sound instead of your buds, you're probably not going to get uh, much of a spatial effect. Yeah, I, you know, kudos to Apple's marketing machine because I actually didn't realize that. I mean, I guess if I cared more about spatial audio, I would have mm-hmm. known that you could use any headphones with Apple Music spatial audio. But I, I thought, well, no, they've managed to lock it out. And if you're not, if they don't detect Apple, because they, they market it like AirPods Pro 2 with spatial audio. And it's like. Okay, I mean, I guess then that that's what you got to have to make it work. I didn't realize that, which which <laughs> again that that tells you how much I don't care about it, the spatial audio stuff. But yeah, well, they're trying to sell headphones, you know. They and yeah. everyone's trying to everyone's trying to everyone in spatial audio. I will I will say, is trying to kind of position what they're doing as something special, mm-hmm. and whether or not it is because you know that's what you got to do in any business. You got to oh, yeah. you know put your unique selling prospect out there as they say in the advertising biz mm-hmm. and, and make a point to the consumer of why they should buy your stuff. And yeah. you know, if you're a little misleading here and there, well, this is America, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I want to correct myself there. It's like I said, I don't really care about spatial audio. I didn't care about spatial audio for music much until I heard this Anat Cohen thing. And now I'm like, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna explore more of these this stuff on Cobus. They right now there's a limited selection. They've got yeah. like they've got an album of from Information Society, and then they've got four other tracks. They've got a THX spatial audio playlist that's got these three tracks in it. So it's still this is nascent, you know. This is yeah. but you know, if they do more with it, I think I'm gonna I think I'm gonna listen to it more because that Anat Cohen thing was just that was really pleasant. That was I, I really dug it. So kudos to out. kudos to Cobus for making me care about something that Apple couldn't. So ooh, ooh. Oh, they'll be they'll be thrilled if they listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, we'll, have to like, e- we'll have to email them and say, hey, you should listen to this podcast. Dennis said something nice about you. <laughs> then they'll listen to it and then they'll post it on Facebook and they'll go, Dennis said something nice about us. Yeah. <laughs> hey. We should do that then. If, if See, we're just as shameless as any of these companies are. <laughs> well, I never claimed not to be. <laughs> so anyway, you want to take a break, man, and listen to some music real quick? Yeah, and we'll be back in a couple minutes.
And we're back. I'm Brent Butterworth. And I'm Dennis Berger. And for our second segment today, we are going to discuss a review that's in Stereophile of the Nordost QNet network switch and QSource linear power supply. Although we're, we're really not going to discuss that review all that much. What we are going to discuss is a concept that uh, kind of reared its head in that review. Um, and, and I actually kind of noticed it because I was looking at a conversation on Facebook where Doug Schneider, our founder and guiding light, was arguing with a guy named Gordon Rankin, who's famous as a uh, uh, for uh, Wavelength Audio is his company, and they design DACs. And he's famous for creating the asynchronous connection between DAC and computer, where the DAC actually controls the timing of the signal. He's arguing, he was pointing out, he was saying, the old sort of thing that a lot of people have said in high-end audio for decades, everything in a system matters. And he and Doug were arguing about that. And I jumped in as well, basically saying, uh, you got any proof of that? Mm. And he did not. Um, this, this will come as a big surprise to you, I'm sure. Utter shock. Um, so anyway, so Jason Victor Serenus and Stereophile, who, who I, I have met a couple of times. He's a very nice guy and he is, I, he is one of the definitely two best writers on classical music in the audiophile world. Go so read good. his stuff in Stereophile. He's just great. Even if you don't understand classical music, he will explain it to you and tell you why the stuff he's reviewing is worth listening to or not. Yeah. It's really exceptional writing. But anyway, yeah. so he's reviewing this network switch. And he says, here we go again. Everything in a system matters. And I'll, I'll kind of go on a little bit. Sometimes improvements are large, as in upgrading to a new DAC server amplifier or speaker. Sometimes they're small, as when a rack cable power product or footer is replaced. I've put large and small in quotes. He put them in quotes. I didn't say quote, but whatever. <laughs> because even small changes can have outsized importance in the impact the music makes. The cumulative sum of small incremental improvements can raise performance from good or very good to great. All right, let's just stop right there because um, I don't want to like grind into this too much because he's just saying stuff that other people have been saying forever. There's no reason to to criticize him. And yeah. um, we we might criticize the people that publish this stuff for, for decades without questioning it. Yeah. But. Yeah, you know, this is common. Like I said, you know, and then we, you know, Doug and I got into this argument, and some other audio writer who I, who I don't want to give any press to, so I won't name. Um, <laughs> kind of, oh yes, everything in a system matters. And I'm like, how do you know this? How, you know, give me proof. Yeah. And of course, no proof was forthcoming. Yeah. So I want to. This is an. This is basically the, the whole idea that everything in a system matters mm -hmm. is, in my opinion. Somebody way down the line, 20 years ago, 30 years ago or something, conceived of this idea as basically a sales tool. Mm -hmm. And that way, a manufacturer can make the slightest improvement in a product and say, oh, well, you know, you wouldn't think that matters, but this really matters. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there have always been a lot of very impressionable audio writers who don't have a lot of knowledge of physics or, or, or the technical side of this. Or and in this case, networking, TCP. And networking, that's for sure. Uh, I mean, yeah. So Yeah. Or 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 and who and who also don't have a lot of experience doing scientific control testing where you start to realize, like, yeah, I really can't hear the difference I thought I heard there. Mm -hmm. And so this has been going on forever. And I really think it's basically just functioning as a, a sales line that the industry perpetuates in order so that people who make some kind of doohickey that doesn't really do anything can still sell it. Yes. And just, just to take, let's look at this. Let's, all right, everything in this system matters. Well, can I pick apart like the first example, the large example? Sure. Because he says sometimes improvements are large air quotes as in upgrading to a new DAC. I think we'd agree, not large, a new server, uh, insignificant in terms yeah. of audio quality, amplifier, not so much, <laughs> speaker, huge, 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 <laughs> you know, huge. um, and then sometimes they're small as in, you know, a rack, uh, mm. huh? a cable, uh, you know, some cables can make mm. a big difference if they do something mm. really stupid and wrong, <laughs> you know, but, mm. but, yeah. but power product, 
Yeah. Uh, well, uh, you know, okay, I look, will those say are all, those are all at least small, small to say the least. Well, I'll say some power products can make a huge difference in that. Like they might keep your amplifier from getting fried by well, lightning strike. Sure. You know, that's a sure. pretty, you can, you can listen to no your amplifier tomorrow instead of you can't. That's a pretty large difference. A difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I would, but even I would hear that. Yeah. There's just the, the, what he's grouping as large and small differences is so utterly arbitrary. Like how can you claim that a server, like the, like the hard drive on which your music is stored, how can you argue that the, that the hard drive is going to make a huge difference in audio quality? I just, yeah. and again, sometimes I, improvements are large. I'll mm -hmm. fix this. Yeah. Sometimes improvements are large as in upgrading to, a different transducer, mm -hmm. i.e. speaker, mm -hmm. headphone, mm -hmm. turntable cartridge, okay? Mm -hmm. Those things can make an obvious difference in the sound. Yeah. And maybe the whole turntable itself. But those are transducers. Electronics don't make a large difference. And, you know, we just have decades of scientific tests to prove that. Yeah. And, and decades of people not doing scientific tests who say, oh, no, they make a difference. But that's mm -hmm. not, you know... Anyway, so, but let me just take an, ex, an, an, an absurd example. What if you took a green pea, you know, like a Lesore green pea, right? Mm -hmm. And what if you put that on top of your speaker? Would that make a difference? Well, I think we can all agree, no. And I, I, I'm sure there's some, I can think of one guy in particular who, the guy I refused to name before, who'd be like, well, gosh, we just don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but whatever. So, obviously, in that case, putting a single green pea on top of your speaker, assuming it's cooked and not like a single one that will rattle around, mm -hmm. um, it's not going to do anything at all. Okay, so that is a false statement. Yeah. Okay? So, everything in the system matters. No, it doesn't. In my mind, the job of audio publications and audio writers should be to figure out what matters and what doesn't, rather than just say, oh, gosh, everything matters. If that's what you're doing, you're not helping your readers at all. And if everything matters, then then anybody, you know, you can come up with, I don't know, I'm just going to pull something off the top of my head. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular, but like, let's say you came up with an RCA plug and you threw some stuff in there that supposedly removed all the RF from your system <laughs> and you charged hundreds of dollars extra to coat that RCA plug with some kind of goop. This is just off the top of your head, right? Just off the top of my head. Off I'm the making, top, okay. I'm, yeah. yeah, yeah, just theory. Hypothetical. Just theor hypothetical yeah. example. <laughs> I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's like, then you can say, well, gosh, you know, everything in the system matters. So the fact that I charge $300 extra for this plug, which, by the way, doesn't work in the first place, and it, and this one's coated with this goop that yeah. supposedly absorbs, I don't know, something, yeah. then you can get away with that. And so it's basically, if you say everything in the system matters, you all you're doing is you are refusing to differentiate between the people who can make things in audio that do make a difference mm -hmm. and the people that can't. And mm -hmm. I, for one, am happy to make that differentiation because yeah. some of this crap doesn't do anything. Yeah. And some of it, a lot of it does. Some of these people are real engineers who know science and they can deliver something that is worth your money. Some of these people are flim flam artists who are just making stuff up and, and audio writers should distinguish between those things. Yeah. You know, I used to be the head of the regional head of IT for the largest civil engineering firm in the world. And mm -hmm. so I know a decent amount about networking. So when I read this, when they posted this piece on Stereophile, I was heading for the comment section to go, okay, but what about the way data in TCP IP is packetized? You know, well, what about the packets and, and the error correction? <laughs> and, and like, none of this makes any sense. And I saw somebody else had already made that comment. So I didn't have to, they're like, like, this is just not how networking works. And immediately there were people piling on in the comments, like, oh, you know, everything like there've been all these things that people said were impossible, but turned out to make all the difference in the world. And, you know, this guy came back like, name one, like what? 
yeah. <laughs> and it turned into this just big, big religious battle in the comment section. But, but to anyone listening to this, who goes to the comment section, the guy who talks about networking packets, he is correct, you know, and I'm not trying to appeal to authority here. I'm not saying I'm right because whatever, but like, just go study how networking data is transmitted and you will understand that he is correct. And I am not saying that to pick on um, anybody who writes about this stuff. We can't know about everything. Like, right. you know, I, 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 a few months back, I reviewed this NADC 399 integrated amp, mm-hmm. which uses Hypex in-core amplifier technology, which we've talked about quite a bit of this podcast, which, um, you know, uh, all sorts of people on, on the soundstage network have written about, right? Um, they were talked about on, on soundstage Australia. We've talked about it all over the place, but I'm writing this review and I said in the introduction, guys, I've read the white paper on this thing. I've read all the marketing on this thing. I don't understand how it works. All right. So I'm not going to make any claims <laughs> about the technical superiority of it because I just don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand how their in-core amp technology is different from bog standard classic D mm-hmm. right. And if I don't understand it, I'm not going to say, Oh, well, this is why it's better. Right. I had people emailing me going, well, if you don't understand it, you shouldn't be writing about it. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> have you ever read an audiophile publication before? Like, so f- nobody understands any of this stuff. And you know, they're just repeating what's in the press release. So yeah, we all need to be more honest and say when we don't understand something because we can't understand everything. That's and, right. you know, I am not picking on Jason for not understanding how networking technology works. I'm just saying buddy, if you don't understand it, admit that you don't understand it. Don't talk about how changing this power supply and this network switch added more light and spiritual insight because that's, those things can't be transmitted over an ethernet cable. (laughs) Not, not that you know of. Not that that I know of. Wait, can't you get like, can't, can't you, can't can't you access like Deepak Chopra through the internet? (laughs) You you shouldn't be able to, but you can't. <laughs> There's some <sighs> light and spiritual guidance that will pass through an internet cable. So there you go. I just disproved your entire theory. Do you this remember, is like shooting fish in a barrel. Do you remember that? <laughs> do you remember that Tim mentioned beat poem that I sent you that time? Storm. Yes. Yeah. There's a beat poem about critical thinking. I think everybody should be forced to listen to that at least once a Agreed. week. Okay. So, but I want to. I have one more thing to say about this. Go. When you say, in my opinion, when you say everything in this system matters you are disrespecting the music okay because you are not going to gain more insight about say john coltrane by putting a green pea on top of your speakers mm. or by putting you know little little sawhorses under your cables or anything like that you may enjoy spending money for a doodad but mm-hmm. you are not going to get any more insight into John Coltrane. If you want insight into John Coltrane, then listen to more of his albums, which there are a ton. And I don't know anybody who's listened to them all. And, you know, or, you know, read a book about John Coltrane. Read Walt Weisskopf's book about mm-hmm. giant steps, for God's sake. Try to understand what Coltrane's doing there. Yeah. There's so much heavy going on there and a stupid doohickey under your cables or a stupid you know, thing that plugs into the back of your amp and supposedly gets rid of the RF has nothing to do with John Coltrane. If you want to understand John Coltrane or Bach or, you know, The Weeknd or any of these people, you have to dig into what they're doing. You have to look Mm -hmm. at who their influences are. You have to look at that genre. Maybe you want to understand a little bit about it from a technical standpoint, what they're doing harmonically, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Buying some doodad is not going to give you more insight into the music. I'm sorry. Right. Or or just listen to the artists talking about their music. You know, we've mentioned before Bjork's new podcast, which is just a new episode just dropped today as we're recording this. It's the ninth of 10, but um, I've got an article coming up about this. Like I heard my favorite album of Bjork's is Vespertine. And mm-hmm. I realized a long time ago, I've never used a single cut from Vespertine as reference material. And I have probably pulled reference material from every single other album of hers. Right. But for whatever reason, my favorite of her albums, I've never pulled reference material from, despite the fact that to me, it sounds beautiful. Yeah. That podcast made me understand why she mixed that album to sound good on 
laptop speakers, right? Wow. So it will sound good on anything. And if it sounds good on anything, then it's not really going to be great at telling you the difference between one speaker or another, or, you know, the limitations of an amp or yeah. power supply or something and like see, that. So that knowledge matters. Yes. Yes. A the, stupid doohickey that doesn't do anything that is physically incapable of making a difference in the sound. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's our job as audio writers and as audio publications to know the difference and point out the difference. And in my view, a publication where I know for a fact there are at least two people on this publication that know better, mm -hmm. but they still publish this stuff. Yeah. And um, I am not forgiving of that action. <laughs> yeah. Well, our blood oh, well. pressure is, I think both of our blood pressure readings are getting up. So let's go, let's go enjoy some light and spiritual insight for a minute and uh, cool yeah. off, get a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll come back Here for a final comes. topic. Light and spiritual insight. <laughs> All right. Bam. Welcome back to the Soundstage Audiophile Podcast. I'm Dennis Berger. And I'm Brent Butterworth. And to wrap up this week, we're going to be talking about a series of stories that our editor-in-chief, Jeff Fritz, has been working on on, on his site, Soundstage Ultra. Mm -hmm. We're going to be talking about the newest piece. It's called European Tour 2022, Sonus Faber Speaker Production and Design Lab. I think mm -hmm. there's some really cool stuff in this piece to talk about, as well yeah. as the previous piece in the series. But I think more interestingly, uh, I'm living on the edge here. Uh, I want to talk to you about the subject of articles like this, because mm. I kind of don't know. I don't, this seems like the kind of thing you're either going to love or hate, and I'm going to be fascinated to find out in real time along with our audience, <laughs> which of those two it is. Dennis, so what, yeah. what, what thing on earth doesn't fall into the category of <laughs> I'm going to love it or hate it. That's, that's true. That's, that is absolutely true. So, but anyway, um, look, I, I'll be honest with you. My, my main goal here is just to point people to these write-ups on ultra, mm -hmm. because I think they're really, really cool. I think Jeff has done some amazing photography and I really, really like the, the photos from inside Somnus Faber, some of the historical stuff, some of the new design stuff, some of the, you get to see like really close up photography of components inside speakers that a lot of people don't get to see, like the crossover yep. network, like, and all of that is just really, really, really neat for me. Um, but I'm wondering for you, is there any aspect of this post in particular or the previous one that stood out? Was there anything you really, really liked? Yeah, I liked it. You know, they showed how they put the crossovers together and crossovers are a, a part of a speaker that is not that well understood by most audiophiles, although it is, in ways, the most important part of the speaker. And uh, you look at these crossover networks, and I, I love that they showed this because this one that they're showing here has, oh, let me count really fast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven capacitors I can see. No, eight, nine, 10, 11 capacitors I can see. And like one, two, probably about 12 uh, resistors. And, uh, about, it's got a couple transformers, but I think they're just using those as chokes. Mm. Um, and about, uh, or maybe they are just chokes and I think they're transformers anyway. Um, and about probably uh, a dozen chokes and there's this sort of mythology in, in audio that simpler is better. Mm. And that's just absolutely not true in speakers. Um, you know, once you start stripping your crossover down to just a few parts, then you're getting to the point where the speaker doesn't really work correctly. Yeah. You know, they clearly put a lot of work into this crossover design. And, you know, that's one place where you, you can get away without putting much work into it. I've seen some real cheap speakers I've pulled apart that had like three parts in the crossover because they mm. could get away with it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, notoriously, 
uh, I have a, a dear friend in the speaker business that is also a dear friend of yours, and I'm not going to name him, but um, he he told me that that's something back in the old days, sometimes speaker manufacturers would, you know, send out like the sort of actual design of the speaker for review. And then when they'd actually ship the thing, they'd start pulling parts out of the crossover. And I know, and I know for a fact, I know a, a very well-known speaker designer, freelance guy, who and and consultant who, um, I, I actually recommended him for this gig because they asked me to do it, and I I, I couldn't do it because I I'm not the guy who does this. Anyway, so he designed them like some, they had some speakers. They had, the design was already done. The drivers were already picked. They just needed somebody to, to make it work. And so he did the crossover and, they, you know, he did a crossover and it was great, but like they pull parts out so they can save money. Mm. And Sonus Faber is not saving any money here because these are premium mm. parts and, uh, you know, Mundorf capacitors and they're humongous capacitors. Oh, you know, they really, yeah. this is a very high efficiency and very precise and well-made crossover. And this, so this is like, yeah, their speakers are gorgeous. They're, they're, they're you know, among the prettiest, most beautifully made speakers you can buy, but they are just as, they put as much work into the inside as they put into the outside, obviously. Yeah. I so, mean, uh, Jeff is, Jeff is, Jeff is showing you some stuff here that you normally don't get to see unless you like watch Danny Ritchie's YouTube channel. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. But in the previous article in this series, you also had something really wicked cool. I thought, which was a passive crossover testing device, um, built and designed by Franco Serblin, who was the founder of Sonus mm -hmm. Faber, which is just like a big wooden suitcase with all of these knobs and dials and, and it, it, all, all of the labeling is like handwritten. And it's just, it's like a piece of audio history, but it's almost like a, a work of art in itself. And I've never seen this thing before. And it's just, it's beautiful and awesome. And it's really, really cool. I want people to go look at it. So True. However, I have to point out that no engineering tool is beautiful. It might be awesome. They polished this thing up a lot before they put it out there. <laughs> yeah, well, there is okay. no way that a speaker designer had had a, a this is a giant switch box full of capacitors and inductors and resistors, right? That he can mm -hmm. use to experiment with different crossover topologies and slopes. Yeah. And so <laughs> this thing looked like hell when he was done with it, I'm sure. I'm sure probably a lot of the a lot of the I mean, I mean, all the, I mean, I have custom switchers that I've built for blind testing and things like that. And they have, you know, blue painters tape all over them with <laughs> notes scrawled on there and little markings. And, and I keep changing out the painters tape and, and they've got scratches because a lot of them have been transported all over the place. And, but then again, you're not Italian. Maybe the Italians just do it different, man. <laughs> no, I think the engineer. All right. So I think the engineer overrides the nationality. I think engineers yeah. of different countries are more like each other than people from one nationality. It's probably right. It's probably so, right. Like if you can take a, but you can take an engineer from Japan and an engineer from Italy and an engineer from Texas, right? Mm -hmm. And they will have more in common in terms of their way of doing things than say three people from Italy. Yeah. Yeah. Am I wrong? No, you're not I am wrong. Not wrong. You're not wrong. I know engineers from all over the world. Yeah. <laughs> they, they are all, I don't want to say they're all the same. Yeah. But, uh, but there's a common thread. To Let, say the least. Let's get to ulterior motives here real quick, because okay. I love stories like this and I've written for publications before. In fact, a, a publication that you and I used to work for, like I begged to do stories like this and it was just shot down. And the reason that I was given was, well, if we do one company, we have to do every company and we don't have time to do every company. And it just makes our advertisers mad. And it's like, yeah, but were, like, you, working, were you working for Donald Trump? <laughs> That's a good Trump impression, basically. <laughs> but but I love these kinds of stories because they humanize these companies. And like you, you could not see 
you couldn't see a story about this about Apple AirPods, man. I mean, it would be really depressing if you did. Oh, I'd like, love to. See, to. I'd love but, to see that. But let me let, let me just get off on a weird tangent here. There is this okay. really amazing book that you're making me read right now called Status and Culture by W. David Marks, mm-hmm. and um, you know he talks a lot about status and and culture and art and fashion and how things change and evolve. And it's gotten me thinking about all sorts of things. But one of the things that it's got me thinking about is value. We've been talking about this a lot internally and on, on email threads in soundstage amongst our fellow writers and editors and publisher and everything. Like what does value mean? And what are the different types of value? I think articles like this add value because you know, you get to see the people who are making this stuff. You get to see, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways, like you kind of, I mean, it's kind of hard to fake like some of the real care and passion that they're putting into these products and the way they're working on them. You get to see their working environments. You get to see them working together. I just think it's cool and neat. And especially with a company like this and products like these, I think this adds something to the experience of you're not just buying a product. You are building, you are buying in a lot of ways, someone's passion. <laughs> and I, yeah. I think that's pretty cool. But what do you think about it? Do you value stories like this? Yes, I do. Um, I'm going to surprise you hmm. with a little piece of news here. I've only ever written one story like this Oh, in 30 something years of doing audio writing. Wow. Um, and that's because magazines like almost never ran these things. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, th- this is, this is more like a website phenomenon. Well, and, for me, it was mostly trade publications where I've gotten to write stuff like, that, okay. You know, but like but, I, I basically no one ever assigned it. And when we were both working on home entertainment magazine mm-hmm. back about 2005, six, seven, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a story like this on Totem Acoustics, the speaker yeah. manufacturer up in uh, in Montreal. Yeah. And it was an absolute kick because Totem is really, I mean, they make a lot of cool speakers, but they are really idiosyncratic among speaker manufacturers in their approach. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they a lot of speaker manufacturers kind of do a whole line of speakers and they try to do things as consistently within the line as they can, right? Mm-hmm. And using a lot of the same drivers and a lot of the same, you know, everything. But Totem... It does everything different for like every every speaker they make and and the speakers are supposed to have their own personality mm-hmm. and they're not supposed to there's not supposed to be a totem house sound except for you know good i guess yeah. um but they really I, I got to go to their wood shop which basically looked like about one step above a good high school wood shop <laughs> and, and by that, I mean, I don't mean it was primitive. I mean, everything was, you know, if you go to a high school woodshop, there's no CNC there. I guess I haven't been to a high school in like 40 years, but yeah. um, there's no CNC there. It's like people are cutting stuff with saws and and using actual, you know, they're using, you know, big power tools and stuff to do the wood fabrication as opposed to, you know, some of these factories. I've been in factories where it's almost like, yeah, you got container cars full of wood and metal that come out and the factory is kind of a black box almost and then you know speakers come out the other end yeah and and totem was not like that it was all it was everything's built by hand by by dudes in a big shop south of montreal yeah and i thought that was incredibly cool and because it's not that that's necessarily better and in fact in ways it can be worse because you're you're, it's not going to be as consistent but it's kind of cooler and more personal and you feel better about buying a product like that maybe than you do about buying something that's stamped out in a black box factory where you don't know what's going on um so i I remember i I do like these things i did a tour of triad speakers one time it was really cool and um i did too they they made a lot of custom stuff and Mm -hmm. um was really cool is like as I was in the first room, there was just like a piece of wood, just a big piece of wood that hadn't been I mean it had been planed and that's about it. But in yeah. sort of grease pencil, the 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 word Friday was written on it. And I was like, what is what does that mean? What does Friday mean? And um they were like, oh that that means that speaker has to ship on Friday. And it was 
uh, it was Wednesday. <laughs> this thing was going well, to yeah. be just a completely custom center channel that was made to fit a specific cabinet. It was going to be, the facade was going to be finished in wood that was reclaimed from a barn on the owner's property. And, and th they were going to turn this piece of wow. wood into a speaker in two days. Right. So those little things, I don't know, man, I just love stuff like that. So, so what was the coolest thing you ever saw in a factory? The coolest thing, this is going to be a time relative thing, but I remember I, uh, visited Paradigm Anthem many, mm -hmm. many moons ago, back before 3d printing was as ubiquitous as it is now. And they had a 3d printer that was about the size of a VW micro bus. And they were just sort mm -hmm. of like testing out little 3d printing stuff to, to prototype, um, little, you know, little bits and pieces that, that, you know, the little jewelry that go in the speaker. And I thought, you know, maybe if I saw it today, it wouldn't be mind blowing, but at the time that just blew the brains right out the back of my head. Cool. I, you know, I saw it. I think the thing that stuck with me the most was I was in a Yamo factory and Yamo is a brand that is still kind of out there. It's bigger in Europe than here, but they were really big in Europe and kind of trying to make a play for the U S market. Klipsch ended up buying them. Anyway, I went in their factory in Denmark and that's the first time I saw how like mass market speakers are put together. And it's really cool because you think that like they cut out all these panels of wood and start sticking them together. Mm -hmm. No, the wood has you know, like a, like a poly wrap thing on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, the, it's, it's got like the fake wood or, you know, the, the, there's MDF panels. Right. Mm -hmm. And they've already got like a, like a fake wood grain plastic coating on the side. And that's the finish that you see when you put the speaker together. Right. Mm. So that's already on the wood and they with CNC computer numeric control that's like computer controlled you know machining mm -hmm. with cnc they would cut these 90 degree v grooves yeah. where the joints of the speaker were going to be and then and this is all automated so a big piece of mdf goes in with this plastic you know vinyl wood grain backer on it they cut the grooves in and they cut it just to the point, you know, they, they cut right to the joint of the wood and the plastic. So they leave the plastic and they cut the wood. And so what that allows them to do is then they have another thing that goes in there and shoots a little bit of glue in there. And then they have another machine that folds the whole thing up. So the speaker basically is like a, like a, like a thing out of, uh, uh, out of paper that you would just fold together. And it's like instantaneous. It's like, it goes from the sheet. It's all done until, a speaker box, like bam, all done. Oh, neat. And the yeah. whole thing was all machined and like ready to go. And then they slapped this together and bam, off the line. It's literally in like two seconds. That is really um, cool. Although I got to say, nothing compared to going to the Fender factory in Corona, California. Oh, yeah. The Fender Guitar Factory, it yeah. was just incredible. They still have machinery in there that Leo Fender built himself. Oh, cool. And I sh was shocked by how much guitar those, you know, those are, those are the fancy American made Stratocasters and stuff. But I've heard I their struck, Mexican factory is really cool too. I'm sure. I mean, it's kind of right across the border. It's probably almost the same, mm -hmm. but I was shocked by the amount of hand labor that goes into those instruments. I mean, the frets are put in by a guy, like one guy yeah. who, you know, arranges all the frets on the neck you know, the, the, the it's already cut by a saw that goes in and goes across the neck right so the slots are already there and he arranges all the frets in the neck and then he has like this this sort of inflatable bladder thing that he puts on the neck and he hits a button and it goes Fonk, and it pushes all the frets in <laughs> wait he goes what Funk, <laughs> and it pushes all the frets in but then you go into like another room and there's guys with masks on with you know standing there in front of these big sanding drums that are like a foot in diameter or something and these mm. sanding drums are spinning like wild and they are sanding strap bodies by hand mm. and nice. and then you go in another room you go in their custom shop and you had uh, there were two women there whose job was to to hand wind pickups, and they had like a bobbin, like a sewing machine thing, and they had a foot pedal, and they would sit there and do it 
you know, by hand and it would spin the, it would spin the pickup around and around and it would put the wire on the pickup and they had a thing that counted the number of, of, of turns. So you'd know how many wraps of wire you had. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, oh my God, it's the same way they did it in Leo Fender's era. And granted, those are the high-end strats and tellies and stuff like that. Not the ones you go buy for $500 at Guitar Center. Right. But, but still, I was just like, I can't believe, and this is only a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So that was amazing. There's plant tours are really fun. Uh, I wish I haven't been on one in so long though. And, um, I used to go on them. It got, it used to like, like in the nineties, it was just endless plant tours. Yeah. Um, but a lot, a lot more stuff was made in the U S then TVs were made in the U S back then. Yeah. And, um, a lot of speakers were made in the U S not that many now, except for really high end ones. And a lot of amps were made in the U S and yeah, some are still, but only high end ones. And so, and you know, high, I gotta say high end manufacturing for amplifiers is not, um, it's not all that glamorous. They kind of, they kind of put those, all the high end manufacturer, you know, high end amplifier manufacturing facilities I've seen were small Mm -hmm. and they basically have big tables and they put, you know, they get the metal work in from, they don't do the metal work themselves. They get the metal work in from somebody else and they unwrap the metal work and plop it on the table. And they have some, you know, they have people that load the circuit boards with all the parts and they assemble them and, and, you know, they test them, but it's really kind of not, you can, I mean, Dan D'Agostino, when he started, Dan Dagostino Master Audio Systems after Krell, he put those first amps together in his living room. Yeah. Those are probably worth a lot of money now. By the way, I want to say, just before I forget, um, I think I alluded to this earlier, but I don't pay attention to anything I say, so maybe maybe not. But Jeff has a whole series called European Tour 2022. Mm-hmm. He visited Denmark and visited Griffin Audio Designs. Uh, let's see, where else did he visit? The, the, he went to the Griffin Audio Listening Room. He went to, where else did he go? He went to the Ava Group. So I'm not going to link to all of these in the show notes. I'm probably just going to link to the the main, the Sonus Faber ones that we talked about. But I think everybody should go to Soundstage Ultra and check out all of these because it's a really, really cool series. You get to kind of, I don't know, meet Jeff and, and, and like, you know, see his family. It's just really cool. It's kind of yeah. like a summer vacation combined with hi-fi. And it's, I think it's it, exactly what it was. <laughs> it, it personalizes a lot of this stuff. And I just think it's neat and I think people would enjoy the whole series. So yeah, go check it out. It's very, it's very cool. He really kind of shows you a lot about how these products are conceived and, and manufactured. Yeah. It's cool. If you're into this stuff, you really ought to know, you ought to see how this stuff is made. Yeah. Heck yeah. Was well, there anything else you want to talk about this week, man? That's all I want to talk about this week, but we got plenty more to come. Yeah, well, let's do some credits then, man. Okay, good. Um, the music, I think, is going to be by my good friend, Terry Landry. We get more Terry this week? I think we get more Terry this week. We, we put it in last week, and he sent me a folder full of stuff. And he's like, yeah, you can use that, I guess, if you want to. So uh, I got to dig through, and we'll find some stuff. But uh, it'll be all Terry. The the, bump, the music at the beginning and the end is me. Mm-hmm. And the music, the two tunes in the middle that are sophisticated sounding are Terry. Because I don't write sophisticated. <laughs> we should say this is a Butterburger production. Which means that one of us did the mixing and mastering and editing. We we don't really know who, and we're not telling. So yeah, and the other one gave his opinion of it. Yeah, and we are a production of the Soundstage Network, uh, which, as I said in the intro, is a collection of nine microsites that cover all sorts of topics in audio. So if you've got interest in consumer audio, we probably have a site that pan. Well, it doesn't pander to you. We try not to pander, but it is it is no. up your alley. So yeah. But we've covered everything from literally $10 earphones to speaker systems that are probably half a million. Yeah. Yeah. So, there you go. Cool, man. You ready to wrap it up? I'm ready to wrap it up. Let's wrap now. All right. Bye. Bye.